Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Partial Perspectives for today, our weekly opportunity to learn the Parsha together, to extract from it the contemporary lessons that can inspire our here and now. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the Parsha series for the entire year, dear friends Becky and Avi Katz and family, in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, David Ben Menachem Manish. Also, this morning's Parsha Shir is sponsored, the first year outside of Yisrael Chaim and Harav Yosef Meir. Israel Margulies, who was a beloved member of our community and a good friend, and we studied together for many years, sponsored by his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and of course his beloved wife Sarah should have Arichas Yamim Vishanim. Thank you so much. And uh, Israel loved to learn, loved to learn Parsha, loved to share Divrei Torah on the Parsha, and it's an honor to be able to share our Divrei Torah this morning in his memory. Shir is also sponsored by Avi Ashman in commemoration of the Yerzad of his father, Joseph Ashman, Yosef Ben Chlavne An Zayin Adar, Thank you so much, everyone, for the generosity. This week, we have the privilege of learning, of studying, of reading Parshas Tetzav. It appears in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash on page 464. And before we even dive into the Psukim themselves, let's take a look at those opening words of the Parsha that have been made famous. Yisrael, and you. So many questions we can ask. And, you don't start a sentence, you certainly don't start a parsha with the word and. What do you mean, and you, and? But, our commentaries uh, focus more specifically on the word ve'ata and you. Rather than use Moshe's name, it simply engages the pronoun you. Indeed, this is the only parsha in the Torah since our introduction to Moshe, at least this is how it is recorded by most, in which his name does not appear. Now, the Balaturim, Rav Yaakov ben Asher, explains that when Moshe pleads with Hashem to forgive the people, next week we'll read about the horrific mistake, the terrible miscalculation of the building of the Egel Azov, the golden calf, and Moshe, who ki'ilu grabs Hashem and says, you have to forgive the people, because if not, erase me from your book, which you have written. And Hashem takes Moshe up on the offer. And so instead, indeed, his name is erased from our parsha. And he is referred to in the second person singular, you, viata and you. So next week, Moshe is going to make a threat. And this week, Hashem makes good on that threat. You want to be erased from the book? No problem. Your name will not appear in the parsha. It is simply viata titzaveh. But why specifically our parsha? If indeed that's the case, if the Baal is right, that Hashem is calling Moshe's bluff, you threaten me, you threaten me, erase me from the book, so why specifically is it this Parsha? Why not eliminate or remove Moshe Rabbeinu's name from a different Parsha? Why this one? Rav Shaul of Vilna answers that Moshe says it in the past tense. Erase me from the book that you've written in the past tense. So by the time you get to next week's Parsha, you have to have erased me from the book that you wrote in the past tense. And that's why Parsha's Tetzaveh is chosen. It is the Parsha that comes before Kisisa, in which he makes the threat, but he says it at Shirkasafta in the past tense. And that is why it is in our Parsha. Azai Zak, that is the insight of Rav Shaul Vilna. Rav Avadi Yosef, Zechet Tzadik Levracha says, Mecheinina We should read it as Mecheini Misefer Chaf. Not Mecheinina Misefercha, Mecheinina Erase me from the 20th Sefer, the 20th Parsha. What is the 20th Parsha in the Torah? You guessed it, Tetzaveh. And that's why Tetzaveh was chosen, because Hashem is calling Moshe's bluff. Oh yeah, I have to forgive. If not, you want to be erased? 
No problem. We'll erase you. Mesefer Chaf, Mesefer Cha, from the 20th Parsha. The 20th Parsha is Tetzave. But my dear friends, I want to share with you a different insight this morning. And it's an insight of the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zuchosu Yagen Aleinu from his Likutei Sichos. It's in volume 21, Chaf Aleph. And the Rebbe shares the following. He says that the question is based on a faulty assumption. We want to know why did Hashem take, Mo- take Moshe's name out of our Pasha Tetzave? If in fact he's calling out Moshe's bluff, his threat, so then why not from any other Pasha? Says the Rebbe. Moshe is not missing from the parsha at all. In fact, he's even more present than usual. Where's Moshe? What do you mean? Go through the parsha. Where do you see Moshe's name? Ve'ata, and you as a pronoun. Where's the reference to Moshe? Says the Rebbe. In the very first word, ve'ata, and you. You see, a name is the word that we designate for a person, for everyone else to refer to him or to her. A name is how we are known. A name represents and reflects our contributions and our accomplishments and how we're acknowledged. And even before we have a name, even before others label us, we exist. So the name is when everyone wants to talk about Beryl and they want to be talking about the same person, you have to use a name. A name is a label. A name is how we identify. A name also is a description. But we exist before we have a name. So the word you, says the Rebbe, v'ata, refers to the essence, the core of who a person is, far beyond the name that we're given. So a name in some ways is a description, and a name is a very powerful tool. A name is not only a label, but a name describes, we're told that that parents have a certain level of nevuah, parents have a certain sense of prophecy and prescience in order to be able to know whom they are describing with the name. But a name also limits us. A name tries to confine us to the limitation or boundaries of that description. The word you is who we are with no interference from others. It's who we are in our core, in our essence, with no need to be identified or to be acknowledged or labeled by anyone else. So the Rebbe points out that Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest anav. He's the most humble person who ever lived. His greatest attribute was his recognition that he exists only to be an instrument, only to be a vehicle to advance Hashem's will for this world. Moshe Rabbeinu is not in it for himself. He's not looking to make his name or to make his name greater. All he cares is to be of service, to do good, to be an Evet Hashem. He's on a mission to repair the world, to help people, and to actualize the very potential, the reason he was created. All Moshe wants is to fulfill his sense of you, of Ve'ata. Not to advance or promote his name, Moshe, to just be, to be his Ve'ata. So on the surface, our Parsha is a diminution of Moshe's presence. If you look, you say his name doesn't appear. But the truth is, says the Rebbe, in our Pasha, it is the most authentic, the most accurate, the most powerful, the deepest reference to Moshe. It is the Moshe not limited by the boundaries of a name, by how others perceive, or what others hope, or what others expect, but it is the Moshe of Ve'ata, of you, down to the core, stripped to the essence of a person who is drive not for a greater name, he's the most humble, but a drive for purpose in his life. This uh, insight of the Rebbe strikes me this year. Very recently, I walked into a gathering of people in our community. And there was a person there, a performer, and I was very late to the event. I had a conflict, so I came in late, and I tried to sneak in. And when I tried to sneak in, several people, very kindly, stood up, stood up for for Torah, not for me. So uh, the performer noticed I walked in and recognized that I was a rabbi. And he said, welcome, welcome, rabbi. I'm so happy you're here. What's your name? Who are you? And my first instinct was, what's my name? 
like, haven't you seen Mishpacha? Like, what do you mean? What's my name? This is my community. And then all of a sudden I realized, what a phenomenal Musr. Yeah, well, who am I? What's my name? I'm a nothing. Ich bin a gurnisht. Why should this individual know who I am? It was a phenomenal Musr and a reminder that who are we? None of us are in it for our name or our ego. It's not about us as the brand. It's about Rubona Shalom. It's about the Torah. It's about our essence. It's not about making our name great. It's not about followers or friends. It's not about reposts. It's not about a name in lights. It's about the essence of what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to stand for. And that's what the Rebbe says, that don't dare think that Moshe doesn't appear in Pashas Tetzavah. Moshe appears more authentically in Pashas Tetzavah than he does elsewhere. Because Davk, it's here that Moshe is not limited or bound by a name, how others see it, the name in lights. It's Viata. It's the core, the essence of who he is. It's the you of who he is. And that is our mission. That's our mandate. You see this also. We're going to celebrate Purim and Mirza Hashem this week. Afrelech and Purim. We need the joy, the simcha, the happiness, what Purim will represent of the year anniversary. We need the joy of Purim. So when Esther hesitates to go to Achashverosh, in that pivotal moment, in that incredible crossroads, Moshe turns to her, uh, Moshe, Mordechai turns to her and he says, If you stay silent in this crisis, then you know what? Prosperity, deliverance, redemption, it's going to come to the Jews. But you know where it's going to come from? Don't worry. God's got a plan. You think this depends on you? You think you have to be the hero or heroine? You think it relies on you? God's got a plan. God can bring out about a result however He wants. There are so many ways He can bring about the conclusion, the result He wants. I. so why Mordechai? Why am I coming to you, Esther? And why am I pressuring you? Because if you don't step up and stand out, then that Because you know what? If you don't step up, if you don't fulfill your purpose, if you don't take advantage of this moment and rise to the occasion, you know what will be lost? Your sense of vi'at. You and your father's house will perish. Who knows if this is why you're in this position, this is why you have access to the king, this is why you've been given this opportunity. This is who you are in your essence. This is what your life is all about. Va'at. Do you want to forfeit the va'at? Forget the name, Esther. You'll always be known as a queen. In Persia, you'll forever be enshrined in the history books as the queen, Queen Esther. But forget your name. How about the va'at? Like the va'ata. How about your essence, your potential, who you are and who you're meant to be? Va'at tovedu. You're going to lose, you're going to forfeit your sense of at, of who you're meant to be, of your essence, of what you're meant to accomplish. Don't surrender the opportunity. The Jews will be saved. Have no fear. Hashem has other ways. But va'at, your essential mission of why you're here, that will be lost. Mark Twain famously said, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. The day you're born and the day you find out why. So, v'ata titzaveh. Moshe, the v'ata, why are you here? And Esther, v'at u'beisavich tovedu. If you don't rise to this occasion, and if you don't take advantage of this moment, you will forfeit, you will concede, you will lose that sense of v'at, you'll lose the very purpose, the very reason for which you are here. The very core of it all. And that is what, and that is what, Mordechai is telling Esther, it's what Hashem is telling Moshe, a beautiful insight of the Rebbe, it's a mistake. Don't ask why Davke and Tetzaveh, Moshe's name doesn't appear, it does appear. It's not diminished, it's in fact increased, it's the most authentic, it is the appearance of Moshe's name as a 
ve'ata. So the parsha begins with the mitzvah of lighting the candles. Moshe Rabbeinu was told, V'yatat tzavez b'nei Yisrael, v'yikhuwe lecha shemen zayizach kasis l'ma'or l'ha'alos ner tamid. Command the children of, Jew, of Israel, take clear olive oil, it's crushed l'ma'or, so that it can illuminate most pure. And what's its goal? L'ha'alos ner tamid. In order that the candles, in order that the um, candelabra be lit continually and consistently. We're going to see this at the end of the parsha. The korban tamid, the notion of tamid. The menorah was lit tamid. The korban tamid, the daily sacrifice was offered tamid. The notion of consistency and of constancy. One of the reasons we fast in the 17th of Tamas, one of the great uh, examples of the destruction, was our inability to continue to offer the korban tamid, which will say, well, we were honest. We were exempt. What could we do? It was beyond our control. But it's tragic. When there's something you're so used to and it's taken away from you, it's tragic. For many years, for most of my life, I didn't understand it. But this year I do. How many of us around Purim time last year, we're coming up on a year, Purim and Pesach last year, where the shul was shut down and we didn't hear Tefillah B'Tzibor, we couldn't answer Kaddish, some couldn't say Kaddish. We didn't hear the Torah being read. The Korban Tamid, the Tamid of our life, of daily davening, of daily community, of daily shul, it was lost. The value of consistency and constancy, the manure that was lit tamid, and the korban that was offered tamid, and we mourn and we grieve when that korban stopped, when it ceased, because that is painful. That's a source of destruction, and I think we can appreciate that even more maybe this year than most. The Gemara Shabbos Davchav Beis says the following. Gemara Shabbos talking about this menorah that Aaron and his children are called upon to light, and how are they meant to light it? Madlik Rashi says, Madlik The mission, the goal, I mention this every year. It's a great lesson of education. It's a perspective for today. Our job is to touch our flame to another wick until it's Ola Me'eleha, till it rises on its own. We're not a flashlight. Don't just shine a light on others. Our goal is to make them illuminate on their own, to be a source of light, and to shine bright on their own. That's the mission. To raise the flame regularly. The children around us, to be on fire so that we inspire the people around us. And that is the amazing insight of Rav Futner. Gemara Shabbos Davchav Beis Ahmed Beis says the following. The Pasuk says later in Vayikra Chav Dalad, that the menorah was outside of the parochas, outside the curtain. What do you need the light for? Once the Gemara and Shabbos, you, the, the light was provided from Hashem all 40 years we wandered in the desert. The light that emanated from the candelabra was not about a need for light, but rather it was a message. It illuminated the world. It was edus. It was a testament. Leboy olam to all those in the world. Shashchina shora Yisrael. It was a testament and a testimony that the shechina is shora Yisrael, That the light shines from the Jewish people to the entire to the entire world, to the entire world. So Rav Futner is bothered by this question. What does the Gemara and Shabbos mean? What are you talking about? The whole world would see the menorah, the candelabra lit, and they would know that the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, dwells among the Jewish people. Wonders and asks of Hutner, Akasha, a great question. What do you mean the whole world will know? Who sees the candelabra? Who sees the menorah? Only a few people enter into the Heichal. 
Only those eligible, only those qualified enter into the Heichal. So what do you mean? By Olam, the whole world will see Shechina Shora be Yisrael. This is the question of Rav And listen to what Rav says. Rav says, the whole world will see that God dwells with the Jewish people because of the light of the menorah, not because they will witness firsthand the light of the menorah. But when those who do enter the Heichal, when they will be lit by the menorah, when they will be on fire from the menorah, and it will be contagious, and they will light the fire in others, it will spread like wildfire until the whole world knows the Jewish people are on fire because the Shekhinah dwells among them. For Eidus, for testament, for testimony, you don't need a conference, and you don't need news cameras, and you don't need a news feed, and you don't need a blog or a newspaper. You need some Jews who their amuna is so deep, so authentic, so intense, that they are on fire. Only a handful have to enter the Eichel and see this menorah and its light, and then the result be on fire to be contagious, to light the fire in others. And that's what it means. Otherwise, what does Gemara Shabbos mean? The whole world will know they don't see it. You know how the whole world will know? Because it will spread a message and the whole world will know that the Jewish people are on fire. They're a godly people. The way they conduct themselves morally and ethically and with discipline and with dignity and they strive not for happiness but for holiness. They are on fire. And when they're on fire, it'll be seen and palpable around the world. And that's the mission. That's what Rashi says. That yeah, the few who go in and witness the menorah will then take that light. Virtually, they'll take that light symbolically, metaphorically, and they will illuminate the world. Their being on fire will ignite and spark the fire in others until the world is on fire. And says Rafutner, that's also what it means, the first Rashi in Torah. The Rashi in Bracious that we're all familiar with. Why does the Torah begin with the whole book of Bracious and the whole storyline? Why didn't we begin from where? Why didn't we begin from... The very first mitzvah in the Torah. Why didn't we start from later? Says Rashi, quoting Rabbi Yitzchak, Matam Koach Masav Amo. Goyim. The power of Hashem's action, he told his nation, so the whole world would know. If they accuse us of being thieves, that we stole Israel, that we don't share vaccination with those who live in Israel who aren't Jews, if they levy false accusations, anti-Semitic tropes against us, then the Torah itself testifies, no, God created the world and God gave us the land of Israel. And again, wonders Rav Hutner. It should have said, What do you mean? He told the nations of the world. He created the world and he gave Israel to the Jewish people. It should have said, He gid umos. He told the nations. Why does it say, He gid le'amo? Said Rafutner the same answer. If the Jewish people believe that Israel is ours, if the Jewish people believe that the Torah is immutable, that the Torah is undeniable, that the Torah is menashamayim, if we believe that this is the word and the promise of God, and it's unequivocal, it's unconditional, it's absolute, then the other nations of the world will follow, will believe. When we equivocate, when we're uncertain, when we fluctuate, then they do too. So Kodesh Baruch Hu says, if we're on fire, we ignite the world, we ignite the spark. We can influence and impact the entire world, that that God dwells among us. How? 
by living like God dwells among us, by being on fire, being inspired, leading mindful and meaningful Jewish lives. This was the mission, says Rafutner, lastly, of Elkanah. Elkanah would go with Chana a different route to Aliyah Laregel each and every year with uh, Panina and Chana, his co-wives. They would take a different route each and every year. Why? Because he would want to pass people who would say, hey, where are you going? And he'd say, let me tell you where I'm going. Come with me. It is the mission. The way that you inspire others is being inspired yourself. Our mission is If we are on fire, it will ignite a fire, a spark in others in others as well. Okay, moving right along. With that, we start our, our Parsha. So going back to this first Pasuk. Take oil that is olive, that is pure, kasis, that is crushed, and why is it crushed? For the purpose of being a... Uh, the purpose of being a a uh, illuminating lahalos ner tamid in order to in order to raise in order to raise ner tamid says Rabbi Moshelib Sasavar the Halakha the Holy Sasavar he says what do you mean lahalos ner tamid kasis v'yichu elach Hashem and zayis says the Holy Sasavar Adam harotz alilmo Torah shnimshul l'shemen Torah is likened to olive oil pure shemen if you want a merit to learn Torah like shemen kasis you have to break the Yetzirah in you, Lama'or, and then you'll be able to let the light of Torah in. We have such blockage on our heart. We have such blockage on our neshama. We have all of our baggage that we carry. We have all of our background which holds us back and our baggage which limits us. Says the Rav Moshe Leib you know how Torah breaks into our heart and lights us up? Kasis. If you want the Shemen, which is Zach, Kasis, then you have to break you have to break the Yitzhahara, Lama'or, so that it can come in and it can illuminate. Our first Ishtamid says Rav Druk, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, our first Ishtamid of the day. The Ksachsam Sefer, Rav Moshe Sefer wonders, Hayitzarach Lichtov Kodem Kasis, Ulaacha Mikain Zach, Shari Zahaseder. The word Zach means pure, Kasis means crushed. How do you arrive at the pure olive oil? First you crush it, and what emerges is the pure olive oil. So it should have said, crush it, it's pure, why is it in the wrong order? And listen to this insight of the Chassam Sofer. Nira Abir, back to my Gemara, you have to understand based on the Gemara Menachos. Why are the Jewish people compared to an olive? to teach us. Olive. An olive is nice. An olive is, uh, is good. An olive is delicious. Good Greek salad. Olives on top of pizza. Olive and other ingredients. That's matbucha, I think. I think that's the knowledge I have of where olives belong. But the real value, the real worth of an olive is for the olive oil. You squeeze it for the oil. So everybody knows that the only way to get the oil out of the olive is to crush it, to squeeze it. You know what brings out the potential in the Jew? You know what helps us realize who we're meant to be? When our back is against a wall. When we're squeezed, when we're crushed, that's when the purity within us comes out. When we're casual, and when we're comfortable, and when we're able to simply march through life, then there's all kinds of hidden latent potential inside us. The purity of who we could be doesn't emerge. But when we're squeezed, when we're crushed, when we're pushed against a wall, when we're forced to find and to dig deep within ourselves strengths and capacity we didn't know, then that pure 
ness, the purity flows. The purely purity flows from there. And he goes on, he quotes a Medrash Mos Rabba. We have a lot more I want to cover, so I'll just skip to his bottom line. Jewish people have a pure power that's hidden inside us. Unfortunately, it takes tragedy, it takes crisis, it takes conflict, it takes plague, pandemic, it takes war, it takes boys being kidnapped for that purity to flow. It's when we're crushed, it's when we're squeezed, it's when we're forced that we realized our greatest strength, our greatest value, our greatest purity. So, similarly, the Jewish people are likened to stars. We say in our davening, The light of the stars is always in the background in the sky. Only once you get close do you see the hidden light. Similarly, only when, when the, it's night, do the light of the stars come out. We have a great light, we have a great purity, we have great potential, but we need to be squeezed in order for it to come out. This is the way of the Jewish people. We have been dispersed among the nations. The Jews of Shushan were fast asleep. They were fast asleep. They were vulnerable. Haman came to strike, and we were going to disappear because we were sleepwalking through life, assimilating and eating at a party whose whole theme was celebrating our demise, from the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. And it took a crisis, it took a threat of annihilation and extermination to wake us up, It's when we're squeezed, when we're squeezed, when we confront enemies or challenges or crises, it's when we're squeezed and crushed, the best of us comes out. And therefore, that's why, so that's why, to tell us that the purity is inside. Now crush it, squeeze it, and bring it out. We have a merit, we have a potential, we have a purity. You have to squeeze it. In order to reveal the light that's hidden inside. So seemingly it's out of order, but in fact it's in the perfect order. Namely, the order is to first know and believe that we have a purity inside and then recognize that when we're squeezed, that when we confront challenge, that's what brings it out. Next Pasuk. So why did I say it was in Vayikra? This Pasuk I just told you in that Kamar Shavos Chavbez is right here. In the tent of the meeting outside of the Parochas, uh, that is covering the tablets, that's where you arrange it. The menorah is arranged and it's lit outside the parochas, outside of the edus, me'es ben Israel. So says Rav Aaron of Karlin, Rav Aaron Karliner, the following great insight. Says Rav Aaron Karliner, michutz parochas, even the Jew who feels that they're michutz parochas, sometimes there's a Jew who feels they're so distant, they're so far away, they're so alienated, they're bachutz, they're outside, they're an outlier. There's no room for them. They're being judged and marginalized and dismissed. For the Jew who feels like they're on the outside, maybe for some of us who feel like we are on the outside, says the Karliner, says Rav Aaron Karliner, Erech is a worth, is a value. To the Jew who feels that they're Michutz la parochas, so the Jew feels their michutz, they're on the outside. Ya'arochoso. Tell them their value. Tell them their worth. 
make them realize they're not invisible, they're highly visible. They're not inconsequential, they're incredibly consequential. The Kohanim represent the teachers, the Mechanchen, and the Rebbeim, and the Rabbonim. Don't make them feel like a Gurnish, and nothing make them feel great. Don't knock them down, lift them up. The way to bring them back inside, inside from feeling Michutz, instead of feeling like an outsider, somebody struggling with addiction, somebody who's struggling with being inspired, somebody who's struggling with staying on the derech, their Michutz, they feel like an outsider, Ya'arocho so, Aaron Uvanov. The Kohanim, the leaders, the communal leaders, the lay leaders, the, the Klei Kodesh and Lei Kodesh, Ya'arocho so. Our job is to Ya'aruch, to give them an erech, to give them a worth, to give them a great value, to remind them who they are and who they could be, and therefore to be able to bring them back inside. Perach of Ches, Pasuk, Lamed, Beis. Skipping right ahead, now we get to the Big Day Kohanim. We've spoken about this in the past. If you'd like to hear our interpretation of the Big Day Kohuna, you can listen to previous Parsha Shirim on YU Torah or RabbiEphraimGoldberg.org. YUTorah.org, RabbiEphraimGoldberg.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. You'll be notified about all of our classes and learning opportunities live. Simply subscribe here. So we're going to skip forward in the Big Day Kuna, which were Lechavodu Ulisif Ares. Unlike the clothing that Adam and Chava had to put on, Begodam Milashan Beged, Bigudin, was rebellion. The nakedness they felt because the Yetzirah became absorbed internally. This clothing is not to prevent shame and embarrassment. Malbush is busha. We wear clothing to avoid shame. Malbush clothing, garments, is milash and busha, from the language of shame. So this clothing and distinction is not about shame, but rather is about lechavod ulusifaras. It's about honor. It's about honor and it's about glory. So let's go through a little bit. Perachavches, lamed, pasak lamed, beis. This is the me'il. We're up to the me'il. And about the me'il, sorry, let's go back. Pasuk Dalad first. I'm out of order. Chav Ches Dalad. Eila begadam asu. These are the garments that you should make. Choshen ve'efod ha'mi'il uksones v'tashbeitz mitznefes va'avnet v'asu begdei kodesh la'an achichu levanav l'chano li. Page 464 in the Yard Scroll Stone Chumash. These are the garments you make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a tunic of a box like knit, a turban, a sash. Make vestments of sanctity for Aaron, your brothers, and his sons. L'chano li in order to minister to me. There's an amazing Rashi here. There's an amazing Rashi here. Rashi says the following, an ephod. Look at Rashi on an ephod. Zokta Rashi. Lo shamati v'lo matasi b'braisa perish tavniso. This ephod, among the garments that are listed that we're supposed to make, is an ephod. What in the world is an ephod? So Rashi says, I have no idea what it is. I haven't found a translation, an interpretation. I haven't found a b'raisa rabbinic writings which explain the ephod's design. So what is it? Libi Omerli. Libi Omerli. Morvarabi Ravasha Weiss often uses that expression. The Libi Omerli. And this is what I think. Where do you get it from? Rashi. Rashi says, Libi Omerli. This is what I think. I don't have evidence. I can't find the Maimar Chazal. There's not a Brisa. I don't find the Medrash. But here's what I think it is. My heart tells me that it's a belt that's worn around the back, similar to what people who ride horses wear. Rashi gives this description of the design. And where does he have the boldness, the brazenness, to offer a suggestion of an interpretation of what the design is, even though he doesn't have any evidence or source, where does he get that from? He gets it from those words, three words. Libi Omer Li. My heart tells me. So I ask a simple question. Am I also entitled to do that? Am I also entitled to say, 
I don't know what Hashem wants, but Libi Omerli, my heart tells me that this is what this means, or this is what Hashem wants the halacha to be, or this is what He wants me to have a view of the world. Is my heart the same as Rashi's? Is your heart the same? Are we also entitled to use that license of Libi Omerli? So listen to the words of Rabbi Soloveitchik. It's in the OU, Rabbi Soloveitchik Chomish. The answer can be inferred from a passage in Avastar of Nassan that says that Klai Yisrael were crowned with three ksarim, with three crowns. The Keser Kahuna, the Keser Malchus, and the Keser Torah, the crown of kingship, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of Torah. Keser Torah, writes the Rav, does not merely signify gaining Torah knowledge, but elevation and personal purification. Tama Torah engenders a refinement of the personality. Depth of understanding replaces superficiality as the individual undergoes a total transformation. One who is crowned with Keser Torah gains a new sensitivity and a new Veltanshang, a different view of the world. Reb Chaim Salavechik, the Rav, writes about his grandfather, would compare his approach to resolving a difficult passage in Rambam with a traveler who must reach his destination in the darkness of night. In the distance, he sees the flashing of a dim light that signals his ultimate destination, pointing him in the proper direction. Even if Reb Chaim was only in the initial stages of formulating his ideas to resolve the difficulty, he intuitively knew the approach to take. He had the sensitivity and perception to the underlying message and theme of a sugya, to look beyond the simple words in the page and to be able to uncover the treasure that lies within. One must perceive the faint blinking light and instinctively move in its direction. Keser Torah means that the individual is entirely enveloped and gains a certain intimacy with Torah. He's elevated. He is absorbed in inner holiness. He gains a special intuition and insight. He has the ability to feel the Torah's pulse and infer its thought process. What an insight of the Rav based on the Zayda Reb Chaim. You know when someone can say Libi Omer Lei? When a person's heart has been fashioned and molded with Torah. When you know enough Torah... You know, he doesn't quote it here. The Rav gave his hesped for his uncle, the Briska Rav. And he talked about Arison and Nesuin. There's the notion of those who are engaged and the notion of those who are married. When you're engaged, you think you know someone. But when you've been married for many years, you can finish the other person's sentence. Someone says, what does your spouse want for dinner? What does your spouse think of this? What does your spouse... You can finish their sentence. You can intuit their desire and what they want because of the intimate way that you know them. You have a knowledge of them which is deep, a knowledge of them which is profound, a knowledge of them which surpasses that of others. So the Rav said about his uncle, the Briska Rav, others are engaged to Torah. Others have a casual relationship. They're dating Torah. The Briska Rav was married to Torah. And that's why he was able to finish Hashem's sentences because of the level of, of intimacy, of connection, of marriage. That's what Rashi is saying here on the Ephod. Libi Omerli, I'm married to Torah. I can't find a source, I don't have evidence, but Libi Omerli, my heart is in sync with the heart of Torah. It beats with the beat of Torah. It pulsates with the pulse of Torah. And therefore he is entitled to say Libi Omerli, something that those who, whose heart does not beat with the pulse of Torah it doesn't matter how well you can Google or look up a Shaila or Torah. It doesn't matter how much you have Otsar HaChachma. It doesn't matter how much you have Barilan. But if your heart, if you're not a Talmud Chacham of the stature of the Briskarov or Yibadu L'chaim Tovim Ba'aruchim, Rav Asher Weiss who says, Libi Omerli, if you're not a Gadol B'Torah whose heart beats with Torah, then you're entitled to a lot of things, but not to be able to say, Libi Omerli. Perch Pasak Yud, page 466. Now, next, uh, we talk about the ephod that we were just describing. And the ephod had, it was a garment that you put and attached over the shoulders. And over the shoulders, 
Yohan Shnei Avnei Shoham Upitachta Leim Shmoz Bnei Yisrael. So you put the two Shoham stones and engrave on them the names of the Jewish people. Shisha Mishmos Amaleven Achas. Six of the names on one stone. Shmoz Hashisha Nosarim Aleven Hashenis Ketod Dosam. And the six names of the other went on the other went on the other stone. Says Rav Druk, second Rav Druk of the day. Says Rav Druk Rashi, not Rashi, rather the Balaturim. The Balaturim on this pasuk says Shisha Mishmosam, six of the names on one stone, six of the names on the other stone. Six of the names Rashi Tevos, Shma, Shisha Mishmosam Al. Six names on Shin Mem Aleph, spells the word, the acronym for the word, Shma. Shamu Shma Yisrael, Hashem Lokein, Hashem Achad. So it's a cute Balaturim. Six names on this, six names on the other, because these 12 tribes, they declare, they respond, Shema. So Shisha, Mishma, Sam Al is an acronym for Shema. The Rokeach on the Torah writes, based on the Gemara Psachim Nun Vav, those doing the Daf surely remember. We all know the story recorded in the Gemara Psachim Nun Vav that Yaakov's on his deathbed and he calls his children, he gathers them, and he wants to reveal to them the end of days. But he's suspicious. He's worried. He says to himself, what if I have a psul? What if I have somebody living with me who is, uh, who's not going to be part of the program? Avram had a Yishmol. And Yitzchak had my brother Esav. And what if among my children is somebody who is ineligible? So what happened? All the children responded. In order to affirm they were of the faith, they all said in unison, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekin Hashem Echad. And... They said to Yankov Avinu, their father, just like there's only one God in your heart, no Abba, no Tati, no dad, that there's also only one God in our heart. Yaakov, so relieved, says, Baruch Shem. Baruch Shem doesn't appear in the Torah. How can we ignore it? Yaakov said it. How can we say it? It doesn't appear. And so we say it in an undertone, in a whisper. And the Rokeach adds on. There are six words in Shema. There are six words in Baruch Shem. Therefore, they merited six words, six names on one stone and six names on the other stone. And says Rav Druk, beautiful Rokeach and a beautiful Balaturim. What in the world does one thing have to do with the other? The stones of the Aphod that had the six names on each stone What's the connection? Shema, names, stones. What in the world? What does one thing have to do with the other? And listen to his insight. What does the Pasuk say? You put the stones on the, on the uh, corners, on the shoulders, the strap of the ephod. They are stones of a reminder. Levnei Yisrael to the Jewish people. Aaron carries those names on his heart as a remembrance. We've spoken in previous years, I think uh, last year, the year before, that Aaron had to remember the Jewish people. A leader, a parent, a Rebbe has to think about the people whom they are responsible to on their heart all day and every day, everywhere. Rashi says, So why was it designed this way, says Rashi, that when Hashem would see the Kohen wearing the ephod with the stones and the six, the twelve names all together, the six and six of the Jewish people, it would be a reminder. It would be a reminder Hashem would remember the righteousness and then He would show us favor. Rashi doesn't say, Matzit Kasam. What was the righteousness that Hashem would see? He'd see the names of six, the names of six. 
it would invoke the righteousness and Hashem would show favor. What's the righteousness that he's invoking? So he says, Rav Druk, Ikra Zikarna, Tzidka Shalem, Adavar, HaMeshutaf Sheish Lechol Klai Yisrael. You know what the Tzidkas is? When we want Hashem to show us favor, you know what we have to show Him? Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That we are unified, that we are united. And what are we unified and united around? We're united around Shema Yisrael. Hashem, we have so much more in common than we have that divides us. This one wears this kind of yarmulke, this one wears the other kind of yarmulke, that one doesn't wear any yarmulke. Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Litvasha, Hasidisha, young, old, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. Yankee fan will even make room for the Red Sox fan, as difficult and painful as that may be. But when Hashem sees that we are united, that we're unified around Shema Yisrael, that whatever differences, legitimate, reasonable, as long as respectful, whatever differences we have, what unites us is our devotion to you. What unites us is Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. When he sees that, hinted too, by the six names, six names, six stones, six stones, the Shema that the children answered their father, that is the statement of Jewish unity. That's when he shows us favor. We're going through such a time of divisiveness, of divide over politics and over Corona and people's behavior and still over religion, still over religion. It's horrific and we have to rise above it because if we want Hashem to show us favor, if we want to be redeemed from this misery, then the answer is not further judgment, the answer is not further division. The answer is not further partisanship. The answer is further and greater unity. And unity around that which unites us. And for Jews, what unites us is Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That the children, the 12 tribes, who the 12 tribes all have different logos, insignias, banners, symbols, but yet they all responded to their father Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That has to be our response now. And this also explains the Gemara in Zvachim. Gemara Zvachim says, Why do we have the story of the Karbonos adjacent juxtaposed to the story of the clothing of the Kohanim? To teach us, just as the Karbonos atone, so to the clothing, the garments of the clothing are Mechaper. So what do you see? How are they Mechaper? For what? So the Gemara there continues, Ephod, Mechaper alavudas kachavim. Ain't ephod trophim, Pasukin Hoshea. So the Gemara there says that the ephod, this garment we're talking about with the 12 stones, 6 and 6 tribes, this atoned for the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry. And this is again a perfect explanation, says Rav Druk. You see, there are mistakes. Sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we worship money and power and social media and fame. We worship all kinds of idolatries around us. What is the antidote? What is the answer? Shema Yisrael Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Echad. The ephod with the six and six, the twelve stones. The ephod with with the Samta Shisha Mishmosam Al. The ephod whose acronym six stones on, six names on, is an acronym for Shema. That unity, the unity of faith, the unity of Bitochon and Amuna. That's what the Balturim and the Rokeach are talking about. Shema Yisrael and the ephod, they're intrinsically connected. The way the ephod is the antidote to uh, Avodah Zarah is Shema Yisrael. It's being united around Shema Yisrael. Twelve tribes in sync declaring Shema Yisrael. That is our greatest strength. Perech Ches, Pasuk, Lamed Beis, the Me'il. We'll see this may be the rest of our time. The Me'il, the robe of the ephod. Page 470 in the article, Stone Make the robe of the ephod, and how do you make it? Entirely out of Tcheles. Entirely out of Tcheles. 
its head opening shall be folded over within it. So in other words, you have the opening of this robe, double over, fold over the opening, and sew it up to make a, a border all around it. It should be Maisa Oreg, the work of a weaver. Kepi sachre yelo, lo yikareya. Like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it will not tear. The reason that we have a hem, the reason that we have a collar around our garments is so that they don't tear. As someone who unfortunately has to help people tear Kriya, when they lose a loved one, we have a razor, a scissor. It's not easy to start that tear of Kriya because the hem is a reinforcement. So this me'il of the Kohen doubled over, stitched, so it's a reinforcement, so that it will not tear. That is the point. But listen to the words. Pi rosho besocho, pi rosho, the head opening are in it, safa yelapiv. It should have a safa, it should have a boundary around the opening. What should we start with? The yira kadosh. The yira kadosh. So the Helega yira kadosh says the following. Says Yehudi Hakadosh, the Yira Kadosh of Peshischa. He says, "Kol Adam, every Jewish person, every human being, Roish Yelo Geder Umizgeres Lapiv. A person needs to have. It says, Safa Yiel Lapiv Saviv. Surrounding your mouth, you need a boundary. Every human being needs a boundary around their mouth. You need to be measured and careful and mindful in judicious with what we say. And that's what the pasuk means. Safa Yiel Lapiv Saviv." There should be a boundary around our mouth. In other words, you have to have a filter. You know, some people bolst, you know, some people, um, they um, proudly say, I don't have a filter. I don't have a filter. What can I do? I don't have a filter. There's nothing to be proud, nothing to boast about not having a filter. You have to have a filter. As I state in the Pasuk, that's what the Yira Kadosh HaPeshitzcha says. The Pasuk means, Safa Piv Saviv, put a filter around your mouth. Let there be a reinforcement, a boundary, a hem around your mouth. Be judicious and filter what comes out. Your mouth, if you find the door open, you know that there's no one there. If you find the door locked, there's a person. Because it means that they had the discipline in order to be able to close it, in order to be able to, in order to be able to lock it. Says Rav Druk on the same Pasuk. Says Rav Druk. This me'il that we're talking about, that was designed in this fashion, it was made from t'cheles. Zog the Gemara and Zvachim, me'il's machaper. If we said the eifot is machaper and avodazare, it atones for idolatry, what does the me'il atone for? Allah hara. Minayin, says the Gemara, Zvachim peches. Amar bichanina, yavo davar shebekol, v'yechaper al-davar al ra. Because the me'il had a sound, we're going to get to in a moment, the bells attached on the bottom. So the thing that had a sound, that produced a sound, let it come and atone for the tone for the thing that had a sound, a sound, namely Lashanara. So it says, We just spent time on the aphod, six and six stones, correspond Shema, correspond with Avodah What is the connection between the me'il, this robe, and atoning for the sin of gossip of Lashon Hara. So Rav Druk quotes the Kliyakar, who writes, The whole Me'il was made from the color turquoise, like the Tcheles that go on Tzitzis. Why? Just like we know the Gemara tells us when it comes to the Tcheles on Tzitzis, 
tchelas, the color, the deep blue, the tchelas, are similar to the sea. So when you see the me'il, and when you see that color tchelas, it will remind you of the deep blue sea. And then you'll act like the deep blue sea. The sea has a boundary to it. It has a beach. It has a shore. Hashem gave language a boundary. You need a filter. Don't just speak your mind. Don't say everything that you think. Don't be uh, just a flood of speech. You need a boundary. You need to have a beach, a shore. As Chazal say, What happens? The sea is a job. The water mass on earth is greater than the land mass. And yet the water stays where it's meant to be. We make a bracha. Every morning we make a bracha, thanking Hashem that the sea stays where it's supposed to. What would happen? A hurricane, a tornado come, and the sea level or the waves come, and they flood those who are still still rebuilding from Hurricane Sandy, those who are still trying to recover from hurricanes that have wiped out the Gulf and New Orleans, they know the surge of the sea can wipe out. So generally speaking, the sea does not surge. It respects a boundary. It has a boundary. In fact, I'll tell you this great Rabbeinu Bachaya. Where do you get married standing under a chuppah? Rabbeinu Bachaya says, chuppah is milosh and chuf. That just like the sea has its boundary, you distinguish between the sea and the land, chuppah is miloshan chof. So here the tchelas, the deep blue, is a reminder. It's a reminder of the sea. And the sea reminds us that our power of speech needs to have boundaries. You need to have a filter. Don't say things, even if you think they're correct, if they're hurtful. Don't say things that will be counterproductive. Don't say things that are offensive or insensitive. There needs to be a boundary and a filter, a hem around what we say. That's the piv, that's the yira kadosh of Shischa, And that's here, the kliyakar, quoted by Rav Druk. That's why it's made out of tchelas. The Chavetz Chaim says also, he says, Tchelis is a further reminder. Not just the deep blue is a reminder of the deep blue sea and the sea is boundaries, but the deep blue sea is a reminder of the heavens. The heavens are a reminder of the heavenly, the heavenly throne where God dwells. So, Piv. Oh, beautiful insight of Rav Druk. That's this next Pasuk. Piv, Pi Rosho Besocho. What does that mean? What it means is Pi Rosho Besocho. The Rosho Shal Adam. A person's head is found where? In their mouth. Shekol Diburo Machshava. That you need to have your head in your mouth. You need to think about what you say. Your mouth can't be on its own. Your mouth can't have its own freedom and liberty to just say whatever it wants. You have to have your head in your mouth. You have to have your thoughts in your mouth. You have to think and be mindful about what you say. And that's why it is the color tchelas. That's what it means. Piv bisocho. That's what it means. Piv bisocho. But moving right along. Moving right along. I want to share with you a couple more incredible insights. In the limited time... Unfortunately, limited time. Limited because of you. I would do this forever. But we've got an hour. That's how long you give me. Somebody recently posted last week's Parsha Shir in a chat. And it got back to me. They posted it to friends and they wrote, Long, but great Shir. I said, long? It was an hour. I didn't even go over an hour. But in today's soundbite generation, one hour is the max. One hour is long. If it's over 2.5 minutes, it's long. So the Pasuk here gives us a description of the Me'il. It's made out of Tchelas. 
and Piv Rosha with someone around it. V'asisa Ashulav, continuing. We're in Perach of Ches, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, page 470. Saviv. You make on the hem pomegranates of turquoise, purple and scarlet wool, on the hem all around. Saviv. And gold bells between them all around. Pa'amon zahav v'rimon, pa'amon zahav v'rimon, ashulayam il saviv. A gold bell and a pomegranate, a gold bell and a pomegranate on the hem of the robe, going all around. V'ayal Aaron the shares, and Aaron wears this in order to serve. V'nishma kolo b'va'oel ha-kodesh l'fnei Hashem v'tayso v'lo yamus. So that the sound will be heard when he enters the Kodesh before Hashem and when he leaves, so that he will not die. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? So the sound will be heard when he goes into the Kodesh, when he goes around, and so he will not die. Why bells? Bells made as pomegranates. A big machlok is Rashi Ramban. We're not going to get into, but the structure of the bells and the pomegranates and the alternating and what went inside and what went on the outside and how did it work. But what is the role? What is the goal? The Torah tells us itself that the sound can be heard. Now what's being heard? Is Adam speaking? Is the bell producing a sound? And why does Hashem need a sound? What is the sound when he comes in and when he goes out? And so important that otherwise he would die. What is going on here with our, with our sounds? What's being produced? I want to share with you, and Rav Asher Brander has this in his great book called Teachings. Five different interpretations of what this means. And the two come from Rabbeinu Bachya, and two from the Chizkuni, and one from the Ksav Kabbalah. So it says Rabbeinu Bachya the following. He says that it's simply respectful. You don't walk in without knocking. You don't simply enter. So the sound that it would produce is essentially the doorbell. It's the knock. You don't enter without knocking. And what is this similar to? He says this is similar to... That it says, regarding Achashverosh, the one who wasn't called and arrives suddenly will be put to death. So just like with a mere mortal king, you cannot come without being invited, you cannot come without being announced, it's disrespectful, so too the sounds of the bells have to be heard before Aaron enters, because... That's respectful to the Melech Machia Amlochim. The kingdom of heaven, writes Rabbeinu Bachia, is like the earthly kingdom. So you have to show respect. So this me'il is designed and embedded within the fashion design of it is the message of being respectful and showing respect. That is the first explanation. And another reason. So that it will be known that the coin want to enter. And even though Hashem knows absolutely everything, why do we need it? Why do we need it? It means nasa means to be accepted. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says it means shakol nishma. Nishma as in nasa v'nishma. Just like in nasa v'nishma, it means not to be heard, but it means to be accepted. It means here too that the coin Gadol's prayer has to be heard and accepted, um, and that is the prerequisite for putting on the big day kahuna, big day kahuna. So um, this bell is an indication that the tefillahs have to be heard, nishma, kolo nishma. The kolo, according to this interpretation, is not the sound of the bell, but is the sound of Aaron, that a person has to daven, that all that they do will be done with 
success. Those are the two interpretations of Rabbeinu Bachya. And we apply these in our daily lives, he points out. First is the Gemara Psachim, that we have a minag to knock on the door before entering. The Gemara says it even so radically, even in your own home, even if you know nobody is there, because we're trying to cultivate and condition a sense of derech eretz. And the derech eretz is that you knock before entering. And that's what these bells represent. Aaron's knocking before entering. We also have a parallel in the world of davening before we go in to speak to Hashem. What is that example? Matovu alach Yaakov. We say matovu before we walk into the shul. Many people are mumbling, they're running, they're running late, they're in shul, they don't even think about davening until they're on the inside. But the proper practice is to say matovu on the way to shul, and these two practices that we continue to knock today is an expression of their and saying matovu on the way to shul, which is the kolo nishma, that our voice be heard on our way into davening, we're davening, that our davening be successful, are modeled after these interpretations. We also have two interpretations of the Chizkuni. The Chizkuni writes, V'nishma kolo k'deshiyad nikar v'nishma kolo k'deshiyad uzman ha'avoda. People need to know when was the right time. So the ringing bell when Aaron would enter was an alarm. It was a it was a siren for the people who lived around Harabayas that the avoda was in session. When they knew that their person was davening, they davened as well. This too has a this too has a parallel in our world that we know that even if you can't make it to shul, unfortunately we've seen this and know this well during Corona. Even if you can't make it to shul, there is a merit and a value and a virtue to davening at the same time that the community is davening. They davened at the same time Aaron did the avoda. I How did they know when he did the avoda? Because the bells on his hand would ring. Similarly, we should daven at the time that we know others are davening. Chizkuni number two is, he says, um, ba, 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 ba. so we should be recognized and distinguished from all the other Kohanim who are working there, that the Kohen Gadol is different and distinguished from the others, and he should remember that. The Ksava HaKabbalah also has a beautiful interpretation here, but we are running out of time. You can look up the Ksava HaKabbalah of Yaakov Mecklenburg inside. I'll tell you a different Chsam Sofer. Chsam Sofer writes, This is an Azhara L'manhige Ha'am. This Pasuk is a message. Aaron is a leader of the people. And the writes the Chsam Sofer, Even though leaders are often quiet, they're shy, they're reserved, they're introvert, Generally speaking, being soft-spoken, generally speaking, being quiet and shy, has merit, has virtue. However, that's only true when it comes to physical things. But in a place that there's one cannot remain silent. When you enter into clay Kodesh, when you enter into the world of Kodesh, you want to be clay Kodesh. You want to be an Aaron. You want to be a Kohen. Then your voice has to be heard. You have to speak truth to power. You cannot hide under the carpet. You cannot hide in the shadows. You can't afford to say, I'm not getting involved. You have to step up and you have to speak out and you have to be willing to put yourself on the line. To those who are creating a chil Hashem, you cannot tolerate it because then you become part of the problem. You have to be willing to speak up and to speak out. I love this chsam so far. If you want to enter the arena of Kodesh, then we have to hear your voice. You cannot be silent. You cannot take the, the way, easy way out of not, of not speaking. We have one minute left, so I'll just share one last idea. By the way, know that in 2011, 
archaeologists found a bell. Eli Shukra, one of the archaeologists, said they found a bell in a dig in Ir David, and they said that bell is one of these pa'amonim, it's one of these, uh, one of the, the uh, bells that we're talking about that was on the hem of the Me'il, and that atoned for Lashon Hara. There were 72 bells in total, not coincidentally, also the 72 shades of white that would make someone a Matsora. Now, if you're trying to bring awareness to the importance of not misusing or abusing speech, and you want to inspire people not to gossip, would you do that by making more noise or less noise? Would you do that by ringing a bell or by calling for silence? It's sort of bizarre. If what you're telling people is, shush still, stop gossiping, you don't, need to, you don't need to chatter, then one should have a garment that makes no noise. Why is the antidote to gossip a garment that makes noise that rings like a bell? It's a question that Bernard, of Bernard Weinberger, the great Shaman Hatov Zatzal, asks. And he answers as follows. He says later in Parshas Mitzor, the Torah says, that we take two clean birds as an atonement. And the Zohar says one bird corresponds with bad speech and one bird with good speech. What does that mean? One, one bird bad speech and one bird good. So the Shaman Hatov explains that sometimes we have the opportunity to offer positive reinforcement. Sometimes we can give a compliment or say something nice and we remain silent. Sometimes our guilt is that we spoke and said the wrong things. And sometimes our guilt is that there was something correct to say and we remained silent instead. We could have given a compliment. We could have said an encouraging word. We could have offered praise. We could have given the erech, the value to the person who feels michutz, like they're an outsider. And we stayed silent when we should have spoken up, says the Shem Atov. That's what the Zohar means. One bird is when we spoke and we shouldn't have. And one bird is when we're silent and we should have spoken. And maybe that says the Shem Atov is why Dafka, it's the ringing of a bell, which is an atonement for gossip. Because the answer and the antidote to wrong speech is not no speech. The answer and the antidote to no speech is the proper use of the best speech. The proper use of the best speech. Sam Sofer says, Hashem understood the importance of giving these compliments when he says, Says the Chassam Sofer, here's how you teach it. Speak to those who are wise and talented. What you should tell them is that there are people who are filled with godly wisdom. Give them positive reinforcement. And if you do, then they'll be able to accomplish great things. Give someone a compliment, lift them up, praise them, and they'll accomplish great, great things. Gottman teaches us in marriage the ratio of positive to negative. Dr. John Gottman is able to predict whether a marriage will last, and he's identified what are the indicators of dysfunctional versus functional marriages. He found the single biggest determinant to a happy and healthy marriage are the ratio of positive to negative comments. And the optimal ratio is five comments for every negative one. And for those who end up divorced, the ratio is 0.77 positive to every one negative. And so that's the message of the me'il, the bells that ring, that we atone for wrong speech, not by no speech. We atone for wrong speech with right speech. Thank you for joining. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. If you've not yet given to the global campaign, it is still going on. Thank you to those who did. You helped us meet our goal. We love you're part of our community. And we've got great things in store for the members of the global community. You could be a member for $1. You just have to show some Akar Satov. But if you benefit, you listen, you learn every week, we ask you go up brsonline.org slash global, brsonline.org slash global. And we ask you to please do your part and to contribute. If you enjoy learning together, subscribe here on YouTube. And when you subscribe, you'll be notified in real time every time we go live with a new shir. Join us tomorrow, Masila Sisharam and Living with Amuna. Tomorrow night, we're going behind the bima. We have some special surprises in store for you. Till next time, stay happy, stay healthy. 
and stay holy.